Early Childhood Development. Each week we talk about a different stage of children development and what children need. And now, here comes your host. Hello everybody and welcome. My name is Taryn and you are listening to The Parent Thing. Welcome to week six on the road to the inner child. We have Marion back again this week. Welcome, Marion. Welcome. Good to be back, Taryn. We have covered so much up to now. So again, if you've not listened to our previous episodes, please go back and do so. Because I think at this point, a recap is going to be a whole episode <laughs> on its own. So Marion, when we parked the conversation last week, we were talking about ways that parents can shame their children. And you said that there was so much more to it. So I think that's a good way to just jump into the meat of this week's episode. Can we pick it up from there? Well, yes. Um, We were talking about shaming. And I did say that there's a whole cluster of things that are connected with shaming that combine to create an abusive environment for a child. And that's things like judgmentalism, perfectionism, all or nothing thinking and control rather than guidance. And all of those come in degrees. So there are subtle forms of this that parents can be unaware of until it's brought to their attention. And usually the reason they're unaware of it is because they have experienced themselves as children. So maybe let me explain. Okay. Okay. So close cousins, right? Because they're all close cousins, these things. Judgmentalism. Are we talking about like the labels that you just mentioned, just judgmentalism and perfectionism? Yeah. Um, we're going to call them cousins. <laughs> well, they're they're all kind of in the same family of behavioral stuff that can create problems. And they're behavioral stuff that lives within the adult that mm-hmm. has an impact for the child. Okay. And it tends to be learned behavior in the adult so it tends to be passed on so let me define the terms that i'm talking about so that you know what i'm saying because one of the problems is you know it's very easy to use words but semantics causes a lot of problems so let's absolutely what i'm talking about judgmentalism i would define as a tendency to judge harshly to be critical intolerant and often that judgmentalism is based on a purely personal perspective but that's applied universally. I'll explain what I mean in a minute. But someone who's hypercritical, fault-finding, and condemnatory. So let's talk about an example. This is where you would say that is wrong without an explanation as to why. Or stop doing that. Yeah, well, that is wrong. Wrong is a label, a judgment, right? And it's because the parent has decided that that is so, without necessarily being able to explain or justify why they would decide it so, or looking at other points of view, right? Okay. So, you know, we've lived in a culture that has been very judgmental um, around all sorts of different things at different times, where people have decided that women are less intelligent or that this group of people doesn't deserve the vote or that this should not be allowed but when examined rationally and critically um, 
their opinion changes. Mm -hmm. But this idea that it is so, it is always so for everybody at all times is the judgmental thing. And it's, as I said, it's a condemnatory attitude. It's critical. It's judgmental. It's what judgmentalism is. As I understand it, and it's what I'm talking about. Perfectionism. The next term I'm using. A refusal to accept anything short of perfection. 100% is only barely good enough. So unrealistically demanding goals accompanied by a tendency to regard failure to achieve those goals as a sign of personal worthlessness. So anything less than 100% is not okay and you're stupid. So external markers of success. I have a, a memory of somebody in my extended family when the child needed glasses the father was appalled actually went how can you be like that nobody in our family has glasses he saw it as a failure on the child's part a less than adequate quality he actually expected physical perfection from his child had to be first team rugby had to be first team whatever and nothing else was good enough Marion, believe it or not, um, having lived in the UAE, that was an issue um, in the schools as well. Kids were needing um, to wear glasses, to wear specs, and it was seen as a uh, an embarrassment. Yeah. Because uh, the first school I worked at was majority local kids, and there was a kid that I had, and the mother refused. She was like, "People are going to think there's something wrong with my child." She refused. Um, but I think like speaking of perfectionism, and I think even if you didn't go into detail with that one, there's so many adults that can tell you I am a perfectionist. And it's obviously because of the expectations that were set on us as children. So I do think that this is probably one of the biggest uh, issues. And I've got that in air quotes, but issues that adults deal with is this perfectionism. Okay. Let's just say, and you've just described it perfectly, a parent will feel embarrassed if their child appears less than perfect to others. So it's actually not about the child. It's about what do other people think. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's dangerous um, because it leaves a child feeling inherently wrong. But we'll come to the specifics in a minute. Mm -hmm. I just want to confirm the terms. All or nothing thinking. What do I mean by that? otherwise known as black and white thinking, an attitude of extremes. So it's all good or it's all bad and it's rigid and intolerant in the perspective. That's why I'm talking about these things as cousins because they're all a cluster of behaviors. Mm -hmm. Words like always, never, must, have to, and so on, which leaves no room for gray areas or options. So and it's usually, quite frequently anyway, accompanied by the shift from the specific to the general. So rather than, it's not okay for you to do that now, but you can never do that, right? The child can never wear glasses. Yeah. This is never good enough, all right? But with that, there can also be like inconsistencies, right? Like, oh, yeah, well, obviously. So, yeah, so like, Instead of a, you can't do that now, there's a, you can never do that. So a parent will say, you can never jump on the couch, but then their mood is different tomorrow. Then they let the child jump on the couch. And so 
there's a yeah, inconsistency a, that comes from that well, as well. I, I, I almost want to say when we've gone through all of this stuff, I think we'll need to go through a summary, which probably we'll do as one last session to kind of concentrate all of this information. But it's the background, the explanation that I'm giving you for each thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is important so that there's clarity. So we're not confusing people when we're talking about this. The next one I want to mention is controlling behavior, which is, I mean, if you think about it, parents are supposed to, to some degree, control their children. That's what guidance is to a degree. But what I'm talking about now are actions that are designed to manipulate or intimidate others to make them comply. So with a child, this could be done by demanding blind obedience, that do it because I tell you, don't argue, don't discuss it. And do as I say, don't do as I do. Well, do as I say and don't question. So yep. demanding conformity to the rules. Um, and I, I find when I'm working with clients, for example, from different cultural backgrounds moving to the States, which is a much more tolerant environment, um, there's a lot of issues for example you know some of my Filipino parents and my um, Nigerian clients absolute obedience to the parent is a requirement even as an adult Um, I see that in a lot of in the Indian cultures as well yeah okay so it's just the culture comes from a climate of controlling behavior that's their cultural norm and you Mm -hmm. do not question or argue So I had a client recently where the mother was deciding what wedding dress she was going to wear. She's living in the States and her mother was buying the dress and it was like, I'm paying and we are wearing what I tell you. And that's not negotiable. And if you don't, I'm not coming to the wedding and I'm not paying for it. Oh my, that's extreme. Mm -hmm. So it's that blind obedience, that controlling behavior. You will dress the way I say you will. But this is a woman who's about to get married. He's 23. Mm. Okay, telling the child what to feel or think or do, often accompanied by threats of deprivation or punishment. So with a small child, there'll be something, if you don't stop crying, I will lock you in your room. Okay? Yeah. I don't want you crying, so I will punish you until you stop. So all of these attitudes leave the child feeling both anxious and inherently wrong. And if on top of that, you add that, Often this is accompanied by the tendency to label the identity rather than behavior. So not that was stupid, but you are stupid. Not that was clumsy, but you are clumsy. So you're labeling now the identity. You're making judgments, demanding a standard that's impossible, right? And punishing, threatening, and so forth. It, it's, it's like I said, this is the close cousin story. Right. So I label that when I'm coaching, I say it's being mindful of attacking character versus addressing behavior. So calling a child clumsy versus what you did was clumsy. There's a character attack versus a behavior uh, being addressed. You lie to me versus you are a liar. I think that's something to be mindful of and not just adult child relationships but relationships period especially Mm -hmm. when dealing with conflict so much harm can come from the character attack versus 
just addressing what the person did. Yeah. That's um, a little bit of a diversion, but now that we brought up awareness of these reactions, I'm calling them reactions, and the fact that these reactions are abusive ways of dealing with children, what are some better ways for adults to respond to children? And I'm saying adults because it's not just parents that deal with children. So I'm Absolutely. broad spectruming this because we've got teachers, we've got grandparents, we've got, you know, anybody listening to this might even just deal with a child in a supermarket. So being the adult, what would you say is a better approach to dealing with the judgmentalism, with the perfectionism, with, you know, everything that you just mentioned? Okay, let's tackle them one by one. But to be aware that there's a lot of this woven into our culture, right? No, absolutely. I actually was thinking about this and wondering if it's a topic that can be spoken about on the podcast is like cultural, I don't know if I should call them dysfunctions, but like cultural norms that actually are so unhealthy because I um, just this We will this be weekend, doing podcasts for forever. Listen, <laughs> uh, just yeah. this weekend, I was chatting to an Indian girl who came, her parents came over to the States from India, and she's now a citizen of the USA, but she's dating an African-American man, and her parents want nothing to do with this. Like, they, there's, there's no way she can marry this guy because her parents won't approve, and she has made the decision that that's not the direction she's going to go in because of her parents' disapproval. And it's just so mind-blowing to me, um, the, the cultural thing. Because I come from that as well. You know, there was certain things that were expected and not expected culturally. And me breaking some, breaking out of some of that caused a lot of uh, turmoil in my family relationships. Well, look, it's a problem many people have to deal with because there is a lot of this, as I said, built in and it's important to be aware of. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, each person has to learn what works best for them, but sometimes it's very hard when there is this black and white thinking, when there is controlling behavior, when there is judgmentalness and a demand for perfection. They are tough. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about what's, let's talk about the alternatives, because often it's just a small shift that makes a massive difference. Mm -hmm. So let's start with judgmentalism. Okay, are you saying everything goes and everything's okay? No, no. It's important to teach discernment rather than judgmentalism. And what do I mean by that? Well, Discernment is more personal and a more conscious approach. It's specific to the current situation, whereas judgmentalism tends to be a global and non-specific. So let's give it for example, because when you have an example, it's always easier to be clear. So judgmentalism would say it's wrong to eat ice cream at breakfast. It's a flat out no-go always and forever. Yeah. Discernment might say, I'm generally not okay with you eating ice cream at breakfast. It lacks nutrition, okay? Which allows for the possibility of maybe having ice cream for breakfast as an exception on your birthday, um, for example. So the, the, the discernment is what's appropriate for here and now in these circumstances, okay? And 
judgment is an always. There are words like always and never, like I said, and it tends to be global, not specific. Mm-hmm. So I would agree. It's not appropriate for children to eat ice cream for breakfast on a regular basis. That's definitely not a, an appropriate thing because it lacks nutrition. Yeah. And you want children to be eating healthy. Nutrition is important. So hopefully the parents are eating nutritionally and they're eating properly and they're setting a good example. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're not eating ice cream for breakfast or some other kind of junk food. Right. Because but again, they are... it's the bigger pattern, but it's the discernment. It's the what's appropriate for here, for now, for this person, for these circumstances. Right. Because you might be on a beach vacation and one morning just as a, hey, we are out of the norm and we are, you know, like here's a treat type of thing. Quite. But otherwise, when it's an always and never, and then you break from it, the, the credibility goes, as you mentioned earlier. Okay, it's about being reasonable. Again, we come back to that same old thing that we said 100 times already, right? To know what's reasonable for a child at that age also. To know, for example, that it's reasonable to be um, uncomfortable if a child isn't walking properly when they're two because the child should be walking by 15 mm-hmm. minutes and so the judgmentalness is the child is stupid no there may be a problem the discernment is the child should be walking at this age maybe there's a concern right rather than judging bad or wrong okay so, so that child you were talking about the father lost the plot with and dropped her yogurt when she was little, right? He was being mm-hmm. judgmental and very critical and actually quite abusive. Yeah. Realistic discernment based on knowledge of her development would have been to recognize that she would still be clumsy at that age and probably not willful. So is it safe to say then that this brings us back to an adult understanding the developmental stage of the child that they are dealing with and then having realistic expectations of the child? Absolutely. This is the whole point. So again, you're going to not land up judging that something is bad, but rather recognizing that something might be amiss if the child is struggling at dealing with something which they should be able to do at that age, but also not expecting something that they're not yet capable of. And again, that applies with perfectionism. So demanding 100% from the child is unhealthy. It's unhealthy for themselves and it's unhealthy for their children, right? There's such a thing as the good enough approach. And it's a much healthier one. I mean, It's worth remembering that when you're writing an exam, 80% is an A, which means 20% of the time you still get it wrong and it's considered to be an excellent mark. So if we just, you know, if you you think about it like that, good enough, 80% is an A. So good enough behavior, that good job we were talking about in the last session, right? is so important that encourages and rewards a child and motivates without provoking anxiety and neurosis, right? Yeah. So you should be saying a lot more good jobs and well dones than you should be unhappy with the child. Lots of encouragement. We've spoken about the importance of encouragement and rewarding to reinforce behavior that you want more of. 
Right. So it's the more like giving more yays and you did so good than mm-hmm. uh, complaining about the, the little. It's like, you know, the, the white paper analogy with the black spot in the middle where most of the paper is white, but we tend to focus on the black dot in the middle. Yeah. So it's more reward than correction yeah. for a child. Although correction <laughs> obviously is important. But to praise also what you want more of, because praise reinforces. I've just right, it's almost like a training. Kind of, it's like training yeah, of a kid. Of course, it is absolutely. It is yeah. training. That's exactly like how you train right. a puppy. Absolutely, lots of good dog and well done's, and treats when they get it right. Okay. In a sense, young children are not that different. And in fact, I just had a session with a client who's managed to achieve something, and it's like, stop and acknowledge how well you've done how much progress you've made it's important i mean when you and i started working together i i mean i still struggle with it but to celebrate myself yeah absolutely huge struggle for me i've sent clients out to go and buy themselves presents when they've achieved something significant like passed an exam or whatever because they've never been celebrated like that Mm mm-hmm and I always ask them to make it something tangible that they can actually look at and see and acknowledge themselves through. Like I did that and that was my reward. All right, shall we move on to the all or nothing thinking? Yes, we shall. All or nothing thinking is something that usually does really indicate a problem that the parent might need to go away and work on for themselves because it tends to be generational stuff. Mm-hmm. Because life is not only not black and white, It isn't even shades of gray. It's actually technicolor. Life is complicated. But let me give you a simple example. Most of us have been raised with the idea that to kill is wrong, right? Yeah. Okay. In fact, if you've been raised as a Christian, it's a commandment. It says, thou shalt not kill. Yeah. But most people are still okay to eat meat. They're quite okay to euthanize their pets. They're okay to kill other humans in the war and so forth. The Bible doesn't say, it doesn't say you should not kill humans except during a war. But I know that as a parent, I would have probably killed someone who was really going to harm my child if they were going to. And lots of parents feel that way. And I don't know that I would think that's wrong. So black and white thinking is always in every situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so it's important to understand black and white thinking judgmentalism and perfectionism all kind of hang together it's to discern and to look at a principle a guiding principle right and then adjust to the specifics of the situation so as i said this always and never thing and it's either completely wrong or it's completely right and there's no in between it's very Mm -hmm. scary and unhealthy and then the child is in this environment where even the slightest urge to stray off the path is seen as an absolutely unforgivable not right okay. right and it's like you always do this and you never do this and that's yeah. not fair on a child either no. like you're always nagging why are you always nagging why is everything always a complaint yeah. for you like that also sends a message to a child that you know there's something wrong with you because mm-hmm. it's an always or uh, you never clean your room or you never help with anything or you're never happy or whatever the accusation is on the child's character. 
Yeah. Yeah. So what you really want to do is be reasonable and adjust to the circumstances. And that generalization is very dangerous. And particularly when you combine it, as I said, with identity as opposed to behavior. Okay, so then we come on to controlling behavior. And again, this is usually a personal issue with the parent mm -hmm. and something they need to go and look at. Um, but part of the job, and this is, this is where it gets confusing and really tricky, because our job as parents is to guide, is to teach the child that this is okay and not okay within the cultural norm. So while then, we're talking about the controlling behavior that's wrong and you just saying that the job of the parents is to guide, can yeah. we talk about what control is versus like controlling behavior versus guiding behavior? Okay, well, if you go, um, control is, is that intention to intimidate, to force blind obedience to comply with the parents' wishes, right? Irrespective. Mm -hmm. So essentially, part of the job of a guiding parent is to teach a child that they can make decisions and then how to do so. So if you're not allowing the child to have an opinion, they can't ever learn how to make a decision, mm -hmm. right? So it starts with a couple of things. A parent should always be able to explain their thinking. In other words, why they arrived at their opinion, why they're arriving at their decision. And then, challenging though this may be, allow the child to develop their own opinions. And then, right. as the child gets older, to participate in or question the parent's decisions. And in due course, allow the child to develop the skill to make their own decisions. Controlling behavior doesn't allow this. I know what's best for you. Conversation yeah. closed. I've heard, uh, overheard a conversation on, I can't remember where I was, but it was in a public space and the child was telling the mother, like some fact, a random fact. And the mother was like, that's wrong. And the child was like, no, I know. And the mother just shut it down by saying, I'm a grown up. I know better than you. You're wrong. And that was the end of the conversation. Yeah. So there is a skill that needs to be taught. But that parent needs to be able to deal with a difference of opinion in their child, okay? And that, for some parents, is terrifying. Um, but it's absolutely essential. And the problem is if it's not developed in a healthy way, it will be developed oppositionally. So let's talk about the skill for a moment. You asked how to do it better. Well, here's my suggestion, right? Yeah, but also remember, it's a learning process. So small children, for example, need to be taught how to choose through a simple set of limited options. I mean, small children can't cope with them. <laughs> if you say to them, what do you want to wear? Okay, gumboots, a tiara and my tutu in the middle of winter. Right. Okay, that's not appropriate, because they're going to get cold. So what you do with a small child who doesn't understand the implications of what they're choosing, you give them simple choices like, do you want to wear your red pants or your blue pants? There is some agency, some option to choose, but they're not choosing whether they're wearing pants or a tutu. 
Right, and it's in a controlled environment, right? Correct. Over time, that's the beginning of autonomy, the beginning of teaching a child about choices, right? And then as they get older, explaining why you would not want that option, right? Mm -hmm. So, or why this is a good choice. So it's cold, you need to wear pants, but do you want to wear red pants or blue pants today? Okay, what jumper do you want to wear? The green one or the pink one, whatever. Those options, it's an essential part of the parent teaching. And it's really the opposite of controlling behavior where the parent is deciding you will wear this. You will do that. You will, I've got my worst tragic sadness was a client of mine who'd been a doctor for 20 years and hated it every single day for 20 years. And her health was breaking down because she knew from the day she started medicine, she didn't want to be doing this, but she was doing what her parents had decided that she should be doing. So she did it Mm -hmm. and carried on because that was the rule for 20 years. She'd had 27 years of hating every single day of her job because her parents told her that's what she was doing. Would you say that controlling behavior from the adult inhibits a child from becoming a functional adult? It's what I have under the heading of abuse because controlling behavior literally blocks, absolutely blocks it. There's a fine line between control and guidance. But the question a parent has to keep asking themselves is, is what I'm offering as guidance to my child for their benefit, relevant for their growth, relevant Mm -hmm. for their development? That's what distinguishes constructive guiding parenting from damaging and abusive parenting. But, and again, as I said to you, if this is generational stuff, the parent has to recognize that they're doing it. Yeah, there's a self-awareness and just an awareness in general. And I find that with my coaching, like there's a lot of denial at first and parents have to come out of that denial Mm. to be able to work through these issues. So it's quite intense. And again, needs so much awareness. How, like, how can you advise parents with the awareness of it and not condemning themselves or not condemning their parents, but just being able to work through it so that the cycle can be broken? Well, I think that question has to be, you know, is what I'm doing helping my child to develop the skills that they need in life? And being able to make thoughtful, measured decisions that are appropriate for them as an individual, as life circumstances present themselves, is an essential life skill. As I said, I think we will have to do kind of a recap (laughs) of all of this stuff at the end, because I know that there's a lot of information that we've given here. But essentially, being able to make a decision, and you know, I'm sure you know adults who are paralyzed and unable to make decisions because they're used to people making decisions for them. And mm-hmm. so what tends to happen is if that person is accustomed to somebody making a decision for them and never allowing it, they will go and find a partner who does the same. And that's not always an ideal setup because then we are dealing with an adult who is actually a child in the relationship. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I almost feel like that's a whole session in itself. Absolutely. Um, so 
the thing for me is, in a sense, we're talking about, we're still talking about abuse, but these are the more sort of subtle forms of abuse. I mean, then we have to deal with real, what, what we culturally recognize as abuse, things like physical and verbal abuse, which we still have to talk about because it still happens. Right. So can I ask you to elaborate on the actual no. abuse or, I mean, I guess overt abuse that people know to be abusive? Well, again, I think it's like all of these things. We need to be clear what I'm talking about before we start to talk about the specifics. So let me just define verbal abuse, which is the use of negative language that's intended to cause distress, humiliation, alarm, or to harass someone. So scolding, insults, ridicule, yelling, threatening. And it's useful to recognize that in many countries between two adults, it's considered either a criminal offense or a hate crime. Yep. And yet how many parents have you seen yell at their children? No, if absolutely. That to another adult, it's an offense. And yet, yeah. And then there's physical abuse, which mm -hmm. is any intentional action designed to cause physical harm or suffering to another. So we're talking hitting, pushing, choking, holding them, constraining them, throwing of things, or using objects or weapons, as well as, you know, sexual acts. And again, in most countries, this is considered to be a crime. Yeah, I have a whole session adults. in my course on, on abuse and mm -hmm. how it's not acceptable for two adults to do it to each other, yet an adult who is so much stronger than a little person, so much, you know, um, and it's okay some grown-ups think it's okay to treat a child in a way that's not acceptable to treat a peer. It just, it blows my mind. It absolutely okay. blows my mind. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's very important to understand that it, that's the thing. When it happens between adults, the power balance is still fairly equal. When it happens to a child, especially within the home, the balance of power is completely different. The child is effectively defenseless, right? Right. That's terrifying. Right. I've heard um, a parent say that they treat the child the way they do in the house because the world is tough. And if they don't toughen the child up at home, how will they survive in the already tough world, right? And my challenge to that person was then, okay, where does the child go to feel safe? So I once read a book about, it was a marriage book that I was reading years ago, years ago, but the story always stuck with me with this, um, the husband was writing and said that after a tough day at work or a tough day out in the world, like dealing with road rage or whatever, he'd always console himself by saying, if I could just get home to my wife, if I could just get home, if I could just get home, everything will be okay because of how the wife has created such a space of peace and comfort for this husband coming home. And I feel like that's what it should be for children. It should be if I could just get home, if I could just get to my parents, like home should be the safe haven because the world is tough, not the place to make them tough because the world is tough. Would you agree with me? I would. Um, I do think that toughness has more to do with an understanding of resilience as well, but we can talk about that um, later. Yeah, but because like right how now, I, I do agree that, adding abuse in your home environment does not make 
coping with abuse in the world any easier. Right. I know as a child, as a teenager, I didn't want to be home. I didn't. I hated it there. I hated it because I knew that somebody's going to be screaming. Somebody's going to be yelling. I'm going to be blamed for something. I may have maybe missed a teaspoon that I didn't wash properly. I'll be woken up at two o'clock in the morning to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I did not like it. Any chance I got to get to my grandmother's house, like that was my, if I could just get to my granny, I'll be okay. So how can parents create that safe haven for a child to want to be home, to feel safe, to feel like if I can just get there, I'll be okay? Well, I think we've been covering the specifics. And as I said, I think if you, if parents understand what to do instead, right? If they know to notice and encourage and when they're not happy with something, give a child clear instructions. If they can model themselves the behavior they want to see in their children, then there's some clarity for the child. Um, we're talking about all the things that can go wrong, but mm-hmm. most of the time there is a, a different, as I said, often it seems to be such little things, but they have such big impact. So creating an an environment where the child feels respected and valued um, is really what a healthy home is. And when people are yelling or threatening or demanding blind obedience, that's not respectful. So, you know, and then of course, when they're being shouted at, obviously, I mean, I've already started speaking about verbal abuse because of shaming. Um, having been mentioned previously, but I want to talk about the more obvious nasty behavior. Um, That scolding that usually goes along with those perfectionistic demands, that judgmentalism, that controlling behavior, that black or white, all or nothing thinking Mm -hmm. is probably the least awful of these, but one that actually happens quite often. You know, I I know that giving negative feedback is important, but how you give negative feedback and the frequency, the ratio of negative to positive is really very important. The job of a parent is to guide the child, but guiding is about positive as much as anything and about clarity if you want something different. So there's nothing wrong with a parent being unhappy about unacceptable behavior, especially if it's repeatedly unacceptable behavior. And there's nothing wrong with the parent communicating that to the child, as we've previously discussed. But the question always comes down to why is the child doing something they know the parent is not happy about repeatedly? Why? Because in my opinion and my experience, children only generally misbehave through either an inability, which we've spoken about, in other words, have realistic expectations, ignorance, ignorance because they haven't been told what else to do Mm -hmm. or shown it because they can't always understand abstract concepts, especially when they're young. Confusion, in other words, 
sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not, or sometimes the parents are modeling different behavior from what they're demanding from the child, etc. Or one of the most common problems, a desperate need for attention, bearing in mind that any attention is better than none. Negative attention is better than no attention. Or unfortunately, in the more severe cases, out of a total disrespect for their authority figures. In other words, they've lost confidence in the adults around them because there's too much inconsistency. So if you like, we can go through a checklist. You said, how do you want to make a happy home? Yes. Let's go through the checklist. Okay. Is what the parent is expecting beyond the developmental level of the child? Has the child been told and shown, especially when they're younger, what is expected? Is the parent modeling something different from what the they're expecting or demanding from the child? Is the parent inconsistent with their messages about the behavior? Sometimes okay, sometimes not. Is -hmm. the child getting enough positive attention so as not to need negative attention rather than none? Is what is being expected or demanded of the child in their best interests or just in the best interests of the parent? Is the parent's expectation or demand coming from an unhealthy or unreasonable attitude, perfectionism, judgmentalism, or nothing thinking, controlling behavior? I I would add like, Mm -hmm. this is a great checklist. I would just add like with parents that this is not a one-time thing. You're not going to tell the child and show the child what is expected only once. This is a repetitive thing and it's a patience thing because Mm -hmm. nobody learns something, even as an adult, if we're studying for something, we don't just, unless we have photographic memories and there are the exceptions, but I mean, nobody just reads through something once and then remembers exactly what was written there or nobody learns a new skill once and gets it and just knows how to do it without practicing. And I've just... I'm saying that because I've heard parents so many times and I've been guilty of this as well saying to a child, how many times do I have to tell you to stop doing that? Like you, I have to tell the child repeatedly until they learn the skill, until they get the message, until they get it right. It's a repetitive thing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but I would say to you, how many times do I have to tell you to stop doing that? Ask yourself, have I told them what I want to instead? No, that's what I'm saying. It's, so, it's you know, sure that, right. No, that's run that's through exactly that checklist. So children, uh, children do sometimes intentionally misbehave. They do, but it's usually done to test boundaries. But which chronic, is what a child is wired to do. Correct, because they will test: are the boundaries genuinely there? Are they for real? However, chronic willful misbehavior is usually a sign that there's something wrong with the parenting. So I like to use that 80-20 rule for negative responses to the child. There should be at least four times more good job, well done, that was great type feedback to the child for every time there's a that's not okay. And if the ratio is out of line, then you've probably got a problem with the parenting. I find that even with the good job thing, it should be exactly like with the, for lack of a better term, the negative feedback. So instead of the child saying to the child, stop doing that, you're going to tell the child what they should be doing instead, right? Yep. So even with the good job, like good job is such a broad spectrum thing where you can specifically tell the child what it is you notice that yeah. they did well. So even Correct. something as simple as coloring in, instead of saying, oh, good job, I would tell my students, I see that you've 
practice hard to stay within the lines or I see that you carefully chose out your colors like just specific praise Mm -hmm. the same way we should give them specific correction absolutely you should be able to tell them what the good job was for right because if you're just saying good job again it creates a confusion okay what did I do that was so good that's going to get me the attention again correct so again it's about the specifics. So when you're not happy with something, you need to tell them the specific, not stop jumping or stop that, but stop jumping on the couch, jump on the carpet or jump right. on the grass. Right. right. Equally, when you say good job, nice that you stayed within the lines when you're coloring in or great that you packed your school bag so well or excellent that you've managed to do whatever it is by yourself when they're looking well done for remembering to bring your lunchbox home from school today you know like specifics so um yeah that that useful positive feedback that encouragement and incentivizing through acknowledgement is such a vital thing and sadly one parents tend to in this crazy busy world of ours forget to do an awful lot and then they wonder why their child is misbehaving and so often it's because of lack of attention unfortunately but as I said today we were talking about more more significantly abusive stuff things like um those four terrible cousins and and then the scolding and the beginnings we've we've touched on the beginnings of verbal abuse um I don't know about you Taryn I feel like we've covered a lot today again uh, are you happy to leave it for there? Leave it there for now. For this week, absolutely, okay. and then pick it up again next week. Well, you know the inner child stuff. It's important to know that parents are laying down the factory settings for our our inner child, right? Of how we understand life and all of these things. You know, perfectionism, judgmentalism, all or nothing thinking, controlling behavior, um, how you speak, things like verbal abuse. Um, those are laying down factory settings. And one of the things that you mentioned was how parents may discover that they've been exposed to this themselves and that they're perpetuating generational pattern with their own children. So it's to be aware, and again, to not judge, but rather recognize times have changed and our understandings have changed. And really that's what we're trying to do is kind of give parents the information that perhaps they wouldn't have had otherwise to help them to do the job better and create a happier, healthier next generation. Absolutely. Before we close off for today, can we remind listeners of how and where they can reach you and why they would want to reach you? Well, I work with the adults, as I've previously said, that really is my area of specialty, that I help people work with reparenting themselves when they've recognized that stuff that they were um, raised within their childhood was perhaps less than ideal and and how it's affecting their current life. So yeah, that's really what what my work is about. Um, I I specialize in that area of people's lives and help them uh, to figure out how to do it differently, better, more effectively for themselves so that inner work um, is really my passion and um say if someone's wanting some guidance on how to do it better for themselves as an adult and how to rewrite those factory settings to something more successful and effective 
that's really what I do. I and how would sense. listeners reach you if working well, yeah. is something they want to do? Yeah, you've got my contact numbers available. So my best communication tool is actually WhatsApp because I work with people all around the world. And WhatsApp is one of those that works in most countries around the world. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. And I can't wait for our next session next week. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Taryn. And as I said, I really do hope that parents will use this not as a, as a mechanism for getting upset about what they might have done better, but rather as an opportunity to help change things for the better for their children going forward. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And we'll chat to you next week. Thank you so much, Taryn. See you Bye. Then. Thank you for tuning into the parenting. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, feedback, or content suggestions, please email us at Taryn at theparenting.com. Please remember to subscribe, like, share, and give my aunt a five-star rating. Come back again next week.